This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a saviour. This church opens wide her arms with a welcome from Jesus Christ because he is the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. So you see that word, uh, welcome, in one sense in verse uh, chapter 1, uh, verse Verse 1 of chapter 14, you see it's except in your version, but actually the word is more properly welcome. Uh, We are to welcome one another because verse 3 tells us, for God has accepted them, God has welcomed them. We are to welcome one another because we have been welcomed by God. See, this reminds us of where we are in Romans because of who we are in that we have received love and mercy from God. We are to be a church shaped by mercy and love. And so Paul is in these verses uh, addressing a crucial aspect of love in the church. And it is in God's kindness that we are hearing this particular word at this particular time. Because, I mean, you, you can imagine, right, any situation where uh, you're doing something and then because you hear the right advice at the right time and because you take that advice, it means it doesn't lead to potential disaster. For example, you could be taking medicine, you're not feeling well, and then you self-medicate, and then your friend sees, and, hey, I, I read somewhere that these two cannot go together. You might die, and then you... Oh, really? Then you check it out and then really, indeed, you cannot mix the medicine. And then because you take the advice, you avoid potential disaster. Uh, same for, you know, you're feeding, you're going to feed your baby this baby powder and then another mother sees, Hey, I saw on Facebook that this company, that the product is contaminated. And then because of that, you didn't feed the contaminated baby powder to your child. So you see, it is receiving that right advice at the right time, and because we took that advice, it avoided potential disaster. And that is the way, friends, I see this passage. Because this passage has a word for each one of us, and unless we hear the word, unless we take the advice, it will lead, it will lead to disaster. And so please uh, join me as uh, we ask God to help us that we may hear his word and because we do, potential disaster is averted. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for you are wise and you are good and you know us. And to the one who knows us, who made us, who has given us life, please soften our hearts Many of our hearts are <clears throat> hardened. Some parts of our hearts are soft to you, but there are parts of our hearts which are hard, and we need you to put your finger 
on that area. Help us to be convinced and convicted of where we are wrong, to hear your word aright and to desire to obey you. Please, in your mercy, answer our prayer. Amen. Now you can see that the issue in this passage has uh, to do with food, with special days. Um, the issue, I think, can be helped if you look at your bulletin. I've given, you know, three circles there. And the title of the sermon is, Which Circle Are We In? Okay, so to understand this passage, we must ask the question, which circle are we in? Okay, so the innermost circle, the smallest one, that represents core issues. Issues that have to do with the gospel, issues that have to do with salvation, issues that are clearly, clearly commanded in the Bible. Okay, those things are core issues. In the core issues, we must have unity. Now the second circle, okay, that represents the important issues. Important issues in that if you get it right, it represents uh, health. It will lead to effectiveness. It will lead to maturity. But it is in the second circle. Yes, it is important issues. But within that second circle, there are areas of disputable matters. There are matters in which okay, the Bible seems to say this and yet also suggest this. And so Christians can have differing views on those matters in the second circle. But not the first. Because the first, why? Because his call, his gospel is clear. There's a clear word of teaching, clear word of command. So first circle, unity. But in the second circle, yes, it's important issues, but uh, there are areas within the important issues where we can have differing views, like baptism. How much water needs to be used and how old a person must be, etc. Um also, like, uh, what happens at the end? Some Christians believe pre-mill, some are post-mill, some are A-mill. For the record, I'm pan-mill. I just believe everything will pan out in the end. Uh, things like, at a, at a Chinese funeral, what can a Christian do? A Christian must not do. Um, can we shop on Sunday? Okay, so these are areas, matters of conscience, matters in which Christians can have Liberty. Liberty in the secondary issues. And the outer circle, of course, represents uh, those things that are trivial, that are indifferent. And so unity in the core things, liberty in the important things, but in all things, let there be charity. Uh, you know, not giving to money, you know, giving money to the poor, but charity meaning love. Okay, love is an old word. Okay, so uh, what's the issue here? It's um, in verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, this has nothing to do with the best way to lose weight. Okay, it has to do with the Roman background, which there were some Jews in the church. And because of their upbringing, because of their life, they've lived, you know, obeying the Old Testament. Oh, this is unclean food, this is clean food, and all their life they've only taken clean food. Okay, so even after they become Christian, their conscience binds them so that they feel that they, they can't eat 
the unclean food. They, they, they must still keep to the Old Testament law and eat only food that is considered clean. And maybe because in Rome, there was so hard to find meat that was, you know, clean, kosher by their standard. So, you know, to be safe, they only ate vegetables. Now, Paul refers to this group as the weak. These are the weak in faith. And he refers to himself and others like him, which are most likely the Gentile Christians, as the strong. So that word comes up in chapter 15, verse 1, but it's helpfully used here as well. So the weak feels, I can only eat this this much, but the strong understand that because of Christ, who has declared all foods clean, you can eat anything now. The Old Testament laws are no longer binding. So, uh, this is the issue. But what does Paul command? Paul says, verse 3, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. So to the strong, Paul says, Yes, yes, you know that there is freedom in Christ. That because of Christ coming, He has declared all foods clean. This, this, this uh, law has passed away. It was always a shadow pointing to what Christ uh, will fulfill, and now Christ has come, He's fulfilled it. And so, because you understand this, you understand you can eat cha siu pao without, you know, without regard, except for your weight, okay, but, you know, you can eat cha siu pao and, and be, be thankful to God, but you must not treat with contempt, like look down, ah yeah, that person, doesn't he understand the gospel? You know, why is he so tied to the past? I mean, that he, he really must not get how amazing and, and, and what, what Christ has accomplished. You know, looking down in contempt to the one who feels, no, no, I, I must only eat this clean food. So he says that to the strong, and he says to the weak, continuing verse 3, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has welcome them. So the one who eats only, you know, the clean food, he must not judge. Now, I think the word here for judge is not judging them in terms of saying, okay, because you have not fulfilled this Old Testament law, you are not Christian. Okay, so I do not think the weak are saying that because if the weak are saying that, what is happening? They are taking something from the second circle which is an important issue. I mean, like what you eat, you know, that's, that's, that's important. But they're moving the issue into the inner circle, into the core issue, into salvation issue. So that if they say, oh, because you eat ha siu pao, it means you are not Christian. Now, if they had done that, then Paul would have come down on them like a ton of bricks. Like what he does to the people in Galatians who do that. So the weak must not be saying that. But in some sense, they are judging. They are saying, ayah. You know, you, you, you are not truly pleasing to God. You, I mean, what you're doing is not a sign of maturity. You know, you're still, you know, lost in your pagan ways. So it's, it's judging in that sense, but not judging in the sense of saying they are not Christian. Okay, they are not taking something from the second circle and moving it into the inner circle. Okay, that's very important. So. <clears throat> Verse 5 uh, introduces for us another disputable matter. This is uh, the one day more sacred than another, 
while another considers every day alike. Now, I hope you see from this verse that logically, Paul's view and the biblical view and the right view is that every day is the same. Because if the right view is that one day is to be considered more holy, then Paul cannot say, oh, those who treat every day equally are also right. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so the right view is that one day is not more holy than the rest. But Paul is saying, yes, but because it's in a secondary circle. Okay, if you are convinced one day is more holy, then so be it for you. But if you're convinced every day is equally holy, then live according to that. So even though Paul's view is that all days are the same, and we uh, know that from Colossians and Galatians, um, Galatians 4, 19, and Colossians 2, 17. Something from memory, okay? Uh, but I think from there, what Paul has written, uh, the special days have now been surpassed as well. It is a foreshadowing of Christ, and Christ has now come. So even though Paul's view and the right view is that all days are the same, he doesn't correct that view because it's a disputable matter, it's a secondary issue. Rather, what he wants is to teach something more important. Each one, he says, verse 5, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So if you think this way or you think this way, no, no, the most important thing is you be convinced in your own mind. Now, this does not mean that, okay lah, I feel like that, so I act like that. No, it's up to me to decide what's right, what's wrong. No, what Paul means is convinced by going to the Bible, by careful studying of the scriptures. If your careful studying of the scriptures leads you to this conviction, then live according to this conviction. If your careful study leads you to this conviction, remember, this is secondary issues. We are in the second circle. If it leads you to this conviction, then, uh, you know, live according to that conviction. Now, if they do this, then verse 6 to 8 applies. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So because their convictions are shaped by the word of God, is okay, okay, no, I really think that there is a special day. You know, the Lord's day is special or the Sabbath is special. Okay, but so I live according to that conviction because I'm doing it to the Lord. And then, uh, continue on, verse 6. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Meat lovers, we can identify with this, right? Like when I'm at Korean buffet, you know, enjoying meat, I say, yes, thank God. The creator of cows and pigs, you know, give thanks to the Lord, right? And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Now, this is something important he's saying. Because in our forming of convictions, as shaped by the word of God, we must be asking ourselves, what is it that pleases the Lord? What is it that, that the Lord wants me to do? And if I'm convinced it's this, I am to do this before his sight. I am to do this in thankfulness to him. So Paul's point is not trying to 
you know, impose on them, I, on this secondary issue, this is the right view. No, rather he's urging them. Study the scriptures, be convinced, and, and always be motivated by living to the Lord. If you're convinced that what you're doing as you understand from scripture is pleasing the Lord, then do that. Then do that. So, if it is a secondary issue, and we are getting convictions that are shaped by the Bible, that's why Paul says, verse 10, don't judge, don't show contempt. Why? Because, end of the day, every one of us must end up before the judgment seat of God. Now, can you imagine, uh, you know, you going, lining up, waiting for your turn to end up before God's judgment seat, and then you're smiling. And you're smiling because you think, ah, you know, unlike those Christians, I've always warned them about not eating, you know, this unclean food. But, but I've always kept it. And then you, you, you're smiling because you think that because of that, God will approve of you. And then you end up in front of God's judgment seat. But instead of God approving your abs, abstaining from unclean food, He chides you. Because all your life you have judged your other brothers and sisters who have exercised their freedom to eat meat. Does it make sense? We all have to end up before God's judgment seat. And what he cares about is whether on secondary issues have we shown contempt? Have we judged our brothers and sisters when we had no reason to do so? Now, in verses 1 to 12, Paul addresses both groups, the weak and the strong. But uh, in 13 to 23, he especially focuses on the strong. Okay, And what he is encouraging is charity, encouraging love. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So he is encouraging Love, charity. So he says to the strong, verse 13, uh, verse uh, part B, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't stumble. Like he says to the strong, the strong that you know you have this freedom to eat meat. You know you have the freedom to drink alcohol. Right? The Bible only says don't get drunk. But some Christians say, no, 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 no. I, you know, all my life I've been taught that drinking alcohol is wrong. It, it, it's sin. But you who know and understand that, no, it is right. Wine is made by the Creator and is for, you know, for our enjoyment, for good things. The Bible only, uh, warns against drunkenness, commands against drunkenness. It is perfectly permissible in Christ to enjoy that cider or beer or wine. But do not exercise your freedom in such a way that you stumble. You know, you show up at Bible study with alcohol on your breath simply because you are not drunk and it is in your Christian freedom to do so. But you know that there could be people there who have very much stricter views about alcohol. But in doing so, in flaunting your freedom, you have 
stumble them. Because why? Paul says, verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. So you see, just like the Sabbath day, he also says about the food. The right view, the biblical view, is that there's nothing unclean. So the the weaker brothers and sisters who are abstaining and only eating, you know, a, a selected number of food, a clean food, they are actually wrong biblically. But again, Paul, that's not his point. That's not what he wants to deal with because it is an issue of secondary importance. What he's concerned about are the are the important things. Don't stumble your weaker brothers. So he says, uh, verse fourteen. Yes, nothing is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So even though the right view, the biblical view is that all foods are clean, not all foods are equally healthy, but all foods are clean, right? So, but if the weaker brother feels, no, 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 only these foods in my conscience, I can eat. Then, for that person, these foods are unclean. Now, what Paul is trying to tell us here is that there is the issue of conscience. That if your convictions and your conscience as your, as your understanding has been shaped by the Word of God tells you that only this is clean and this is unclean, you will go against your conscience to eat the other food. And the stronger brothers, you will be stumbling your weaker brethren if you flaunt or you tempt them or you, you know, force them, make them feel small if they don't eat what you know you can eat. Now, why is this the case? Uh, verse 23 tells us, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. <clears throat> and everything that does not come from faith is sin. You see, so it clarifies. Because you think your convictions have been shaped such that this is not permissible for you to eat. And so if you eat this thing, you're going against your faith. And therefore, in that sense, you are sinning. So the example I think of is, you know, let's say uh, around the house, you discover this envelope, and then in the envelope, there's money. And you, eh? Who, who left it here? Maybe one of the, you know, one of, one of the Bible study, you know, members came and left it here or something, but, and then you, but who is it? I can't remember who is it, but I, I know it's not mine, lah. But then, you know, at that moment in time, you know, you are a bit hard up for cash and you, and you, and, and the, you know, the hundred dollars are, are very tempting to you. Now, in actual reality, it is your money. Okay? I mean, Ten years ago, you put money in an envelope and then you forgot about it and then it, you know, went all over the place and finally you found it again. It is actually your money, but because you don't remember, because you don't think it's your money, because you actually think it's someone else's money, if you take it, it's stealing. Because you have gone against your conscience. And so Paul's admonition here to the strong is act in love to, for your weaker brothers and sisters. Don't exercise your freedom in such a way that will cause them to stumble. And look at the way 
he puts this issue. It is so serious that he says in verse 15, part B, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, what does he mean by destroy? Every time this word is used in the New Testament, it means to be condemned to hell. It is to go into eternal judgment away from the presence of God. Now, okay, this is, okay, this, okay, what we should take note of here, what must impress on us is the seriousness to which Paul puts this issue. It can actually lead to the destruction of your brother or sister. What we must have at the forefront of our minds is that and not, hey, Romans 14 isn't that after Romans 8 and then didn't Romans 8 teach that, you know, whoever God has chosen, you know, he's predestined and he has called, those he has called, you know, he will glorify. I mean, no one can lose their salvation, right? So, you know, how can Paul say that, oh, if I drink my alcohol or, I, you know, I, I go shopping on the Sabbath, it means I will destroy my brother. No, la. Okay, okay, no, no, that that is not the point. Because it is serious. And to one, you know, I mean, one way of uh, saying it is, how do you know that a person has been saved? Maybe that person is, you know, coming to an understanding of the gospel, but he hasn't embraced it yet. But by your stumbling, that person, it actually pushes him away from the gospel rather than helping him to cross the line. The point is, be impressed by how serious Paul puts this issue. There is a true story of a girl who grew up in a strict church where the church taught you must not put on makeup. Makeup is of the devil. But she went to a school where she had uh, Christian friends from other churches and they said, no, la, come on, where, come show me from the Bible, where can you find the word makeup? See, don't have a, where in the Bible, you know, they say you cannot put on makeup. And so they, 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 they pressured her and they, you know, influenced her so that in order to fit in, when she left home, she didn't have makeup, but when she went to school, she would go to the toilet and put on makeup so that she would fit in with the friends. But when she came home, she would clean it off before uh, going into the door. Now, why did she clean it off? Because somehow, because of her upbringing, what she learned in church, she, she, she did think that it was wrong. And the putting on of makeup, she was going against her conscience. And by repeated actions like this, her, her conscience became seared. It became dull. So that when she got older, she did even more blatant things against her conscience and on and on it went. So it is a serious issue. You see, Paul says, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. You know, by your exercise of freedom, you can destroy someone for whom Christ has died. What has Christ done? Christ has given up his rights. Christ has given up his life. Christ has died so that this person may be saved. 
And in one sense, Paul is saying, can't you give up drinking just on that day? Can't you give up, you know, flaunting your freedom so that you don't potentially stumble and destroy someone for whom Christ has died? Instead, verse 19, we should make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Now, I want to say something before I conclude. Now, does this mean, does this mean that therefore the church is held ransom to people who say, Oh, in that sense, then, uh, you know, I'm the weaker brother. You know, you, the rest are stronger. And, and I'm the weaker brother. And, and my conscience is that, you know, on the table here, we must have flowers. Okay, that, you know, according to my conscience here, we must have flowers. And according to my conscience, you know, I mean, a proper church, we shouldn't be sitting on chairs like this. We must have pews. You know, you, you know, Wayne, you sitting on this type of comfortable chair, that's, that's going against my conscience. We should be sitting in pews if we are really going to honour the Lord. You know, it's going against my conscience that we, we were singing five songs instead of six songs. Oh, it's really going against my conscience. You know, I mean, the list can go on and on. Now, can you see flowers, six songs, five songs, how old the songs are, pews or comfortable chairs, these things belong in the outer circle. Not the second circle of importance and spiritual health. So Paul, Romans 14, is talking about the second circle. If someone is taking an issue from the outer circle and putting it into the second circle, then that person needs to be, you know, uh, taught, brought aside, shown from the Bible that those are issues of indifference. They are trivial issues. And if they are trivial issues, then it makes no difference whether we are sitting, like as Wayne is, or sitting on a pew, or, or, or whether the flowers here or not. Okay, now, it takes wisdom and discernment to know what belongs in the inner, what belongs in the second circle, and what truly belongs in the outer circle. That's why Paul says we are to have our minds renewed and we need to look to God for that renewing of minds so that we know what truly belongs in which circle. Because at the end of the day, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It is not a matter of what the preacher wears, whether he's wearing a tie or not. It is not a matter of whether I'm wearing robes. It is not a matter of how many songs we sing. It is not a matter of what you call the offering. It is not a matter of whether, you know, this is a childcare center or whether this is stained glass. It is not a matter of anything like that. But it is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So friends, God in His kindness has given us this word. And it's a word that comes at the right time. If you or I do not hear this word and repent, then it will lead to potential disaster. May God help us. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.